Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com, a special midweek Arscast because as is something of a tradition, after the transfer window closes, I try and catch up with the BBC's David Ornstein to get a bit of insight into what happens during the transfer windows, the business that Arsenal have done and not done. This particular transfer window, not the busiest. We've brought in Denis Suarez from Barcelona, but that's it. All in all, you would probably say, given the fight that we have for the top four and the fact we've lost three key players to injuries, a pretty underwhelming transfer window. There seem to be things going on, links with uh, players like Yannick Carrasco and Ivan Perisic. And of course, in the background, there's all the stuff going on with Sven Mislintat. The head of recruitment is leaving the club after a little over a year and and that surely has had some kind of impact on what we did in January and probably what we're going to do in the summer as Raul Sanyehi becomes the man with all the power and all the responsibility. He is the head of football. He is going to appoint his own people. And we're going to see how they operate. The summer is going to be a very crucial summer. But, of course, Arsenal still have to continue the challenge for a top four and the Europa League as well. So I'll be chatting with David now. I was going to put this out first on Patreon for our Patreon subscribers. But I know how popular the David Ornstein podcasts are. So I'm making this free to everyone from the very start. But if you do feel like you want to support what we do on Arsblog and Arsblog News, and of course the podcasts uh, every week, and you would like more content as well as supporting us, you can sign up for just a fiver a month plus VAT if you're in the EU. Go to patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. You get instant access to all the extra content we have there and all the extra content we'll be producing in the future as well as the warm glow of knowing that you're helping support everything that we do here on Arsblog and we really do appreciate all our subscribers on Patreon so thank you very much indeed now though let's get on with it this is me and David Ornstein All right, as is now more or less tradition, after the end of every transfer window, I try and catch up with the BBC's David Ornstein to get a, a fuller picture of what's gone on at Arsenal, and I'm delighted to say that David is here with me now. Hi, David. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Let's start with the Arsenal window. Uh, for me, anyway, it, it was underwhelming. Uh, I felt Arsenal had defensive issues. We were linked with any number of uh, attacking midfield players. In the end, we got in Denis Suarez on Barcelona, uh, from Barcelona on loan until the end of the season with no obligation to buy. Um, perhaps a signing that indicates the lack of firepower that Arsenal had at their disposal for whatever reason uh, in this last transfer window. Yeah, that's totally right, Andrew. And I, It's quite difficult to explain the full context of this because the truth is we really don't know it all. Um, the budget, for instance, uh, it, was, it was made very clear to me from a very early stage that it was... Um, it was uh, meager to say the least that there was barely a budget it, it was pretty much nothing and I, I couldn't really believe it when I heard it even though we know there was heavy investment in in the previous two transfer windows um, th I was being told that they've got nothing to work with a very very small pot and that will be for permanent signings which therefore are incredibly unlikely for loan signings and for the associated salaries and agents fees on both fronts um, so that's all gonna, always going to be incredibly difficult to work 
book with, especially in the January window when Arsenal have and many other clubs have talked about it being a window where they'd prefer not to do business. Um, uh, player values are overinflated. Uh, it's always a stopgap solution and, and a bit of an emergency. You can get good deals, as we've seen in the past, but um, it was not a deal that Arsenal were targeting um, when things had been looking good earlier. Yeah. And so the, the fact that they were sort of forced into action um, was far from ideal with such a small budget. So Denis Suarez was clearly a target for Unai Emery and um, Raul Sanlehi in particular. I don't think it was a signing that was universally supported across the Arsenal uh, hierarchy and those who are influential on the recruitment side. Um, but Raul Sanlehi is, is calling the shots now at the, as the head of football. And, and of course, Unai Emery has a heavy influence and, and knew him from uh, his time managing in Spain. And so uh, that, that one was pretty clear and well documented. Uh, many people said Arsenal need to go for a defender. That was never really mentioned to me. Um, I did ask about it on a number of occasions to a number of people. And the only name who really cropped up on that front was Callum Chambers and, and that Arsenal had vaguely explored the possibility of bringing him back from his loan deal at Fulham. However, that would have incurred um, a, a fee because he had played a certain number of games that, that, that would have triggered a, a sort of a, a recall uh, fee. And uh, so that was pretty quickly uh, shelved, given that Arsenal's priority with this small amount of money was to um, uh, perhaps bring in, bring in some reinforcements that, that could really help them yeah. uh, in, in a more attacking sense. That, that was their priority, it seems. Can, uh, so I, then there was, um, so can I ask the, you just before yeah, we move yeah, yeah. on to other potential targets, because... Um, one of the things that Unai Emery said before the transfer window opened after the injury to Rob Holding was that we might look for a central defender who can help us, but he mentioned the fact that um, Dinos Mavropanos was coming back and he might be a player who could step up. What's the feeling inside about his quality and his readiness, particularly when Arsenal fans have looked at certain players and certain defenders in this team have chance after chance and, and underperform it feels like maybe, uh, particularly with the games coming up in the next few weeks, relatively, on paper at least, uh, winnable fixtures, that it might be time to give him a run out and see what he can do. Because he was, let's remember, Sven Mislintat's first signing um, when he joined from uh, Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, he was... Um, it- extremely highly thought of Mavropanos and the idea coming into the season from a number of people I spoke to that is that he would challenge for a starting berth at centre-half. I'm not sure anybody quite knew the extent of his injury. It's quite remarkable how long he's been out for. Um, and at that point in time, you had Mavropanos coming into the picture. You had two defenders recruited in um, Socrates, who had come off the back of a, a strong season and um, vastly experienced from club and international football, Dortmund and Greece. Uh, and then Lichsteiner, who, despite ageing, was a free transfer and had vast club top level with Juventus and international experience with Switzerland. So I think Arsenal felt they were pretty well set at the back. Not perfect, but as we know from, from various proclamations, this was a work in progress over a number of years and transfer windows. So this was just the, just the start. Um, I've asked a little bit about Mavropanos and, and it seems that... Um, there was some concern in, in terms of his calmness, whether he was a little bit nervous, a bit anxious when he came on the pitch and prone to error and some reservations. So I don't think that the level of regard so far is quite as universal as it might have looked when he was sort of emerging at the end of last season and, and into the summer. Indeed, of course, Arsene Wenger had kind of um, scoffed a little bit at his signing at the start, taking umbrage to the fact that it, it was a player he might not have known about. But then even he, I'm told, was, um, came round to the idea as early as the first training session and the idea of sending him on loan was quickly shelved. So that will be really interesting. Um, somebody I spoke to feels that... that, um, that he should be thrown in now from, from the Huddersfield game onwards, Mavropanis, and, and that will be really interesting. Um, there was no real talk of a defensive uh, uh, piece of recruitment, and I think that's mainly based on numbers rather than quality. Arsenal aren't stupid. They know there are defensive issues, and um, 
but they also have a vast number of players, some of whom will be returning from injury. And so it was seen that a January signing would leave them with a, a difficult uh, problem come the summer of having to shift a, a number of players. Mm. Um, you could say that, that that should be done and you've got to take <laughs> those tough decisions, but they have got the numbers there. They do believe they have some quality and perhaps this is one, I don't know, but perhaps this is one they're looking to to um, sort out in the summer yeah. in a department that they'll be focusing on then. Okay, well, I'm, I'm hopeful that some of this January inaction, particularly defensively, is because we do have summer targets and uh, we might talk about that in uh, a more abstract way because it's very difficult at this point it's only February to start talking about the summer and what Arsenal are going to do and planning to do particularly because there's been such upheaval behind the scenes with Mislintat with Sanyehi and we'll talk on that a bit uh, in a moment as well but just some of the other names that went around during the January transfer window Yannick Carrasco uh, was uh, touted as a loan signing even Perisic emerged as a loan signing very late in the window so we we can only guess that perhaps it was a last minute attempt by Arsenal to bolster the squad in an area they thought they were going to need somebody in and Christopher Nkunku from from PSG who I assume is a player that Unai Emery knows and recommended based on his knowledge of of the player from his time uh, with, with PSG. Yeah so I was told throughout the window that Arsenal were looking for a box-to-box midfielder and a wide player as their two priorities. Um, and it was pretty clear from early on that one of the options, uh, it's not clear exactly what position he'll be playing, was was um, was uh, Denis Suarez. And then and at that point, I didn't know about Carrasco, Perisic or Nkunku. They, they emerged as the window went on. Um, really starting with, uh, Perisic, who I think the Friday before, uh, so with a week to go in the window, Arsenal um, made their approach uh, to the representatives of Perisic and then subsequently Inter Milan. And although they were calm at this point about the possibility, out, outwardly calm anyway, uh, to people like me about the possibility of signing one player, two players or no players. Uh, my understanding is they went extremely hard for Perisic um, and you don't get a player who uh, hands in a transfer request and stops training and risks his relationship with a club the size of Inter Milan because he doesn't think he's coming. He, he definitely thought he would be coming to Arsenal and a deal would be done there. That was, um, um, sorry to cut across, I mean there was an interesting yeah. comment wasn't there from uh, Spalletti who said that basically Perisic had been conned by Arsenal. Um, how much that says about the way we made the approach or how we tried to bring him in, I don't know. But it was a, an interesting comment all the same. Yeah, I think Arsenal were in direct contact with Perisic and, um, and they were um, uh, communicating that they would do everything to, to make the deal happen. However, one thing that was clear from Arsenal to all targets during the transfer window was that they could only be taken on loan with an option to buy and not an obligation. Uh, they even they told that to, to the very people they were targeting. And although they tried to be creative with Perisic, I know for a fact, um, by even offering a, um, a penalty fee, if the option to buy didn't become an obligation, in the case of Inter, they just were not interested in that. They wanted guaranteed money. Therefore, Arsenal reignited some interest that they started um, uh, showing much earlier than Perisic and that was Carrasco because that was shown at the end of December right and then right at the beginning of January it, it was proposed to the player he was keen um, I think he would have been you know happy to, to take a, a wage cut although it would have still been a handsome uh, salary um, the problem was that the, the, the loan fee that Arsenal suggested at the beginning of the January window to his Chinese club was nowhere near a figure that they would have considered. Um, in a loan market where fees are getting extraordinarily high these days, and Arsenal did end up offering a high fee for Perisic, um, the fee for Carrasco was really low. You could say perhaps understandably at the beginning of the window. They then went quiet as they both pursued other targets and had their own internal issues with the, the news that Mislintat would be leaving. Um, and by the time they um, w it, it was looking like Perisic wouldn't happen, they reignited the conversations around Carrasco. But the offer, as I understand it, did not change. 
And so it was never likely to be considered by the Chinese club. And that, that was quite strange when they were offering so much, I was told, for Perisic. So clearly Carrasco at that point also felt that Arsenal weren't particularly serious about him. In and amongst all of that was Nkunku, who was um, a target that unified the Arsenal hierarchy. They all wanted him. Again, on loan with an option to buy. He was seen as a high potential player who could um, perhaps succeed Aaron Ramsey as the box-to-box midfielder. And it wouldn't surprise me, I don't know for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me if they um, reignite that interest in the summer. Whether a deal can be done then, I'm not sure. But that one was fascinating in its own right. Arsenal did uh, think that that was doable because they were pursuing it right until the end of the transfer window. They really were. Um, However, there were some other issues at play in the fact that um, PSG needed a midfielder. Was it the player from the MLS? And that deal didn't go through in the end. Acosta... With that in mind, um, Thomas Tuchel uh, expressed a desire to keep Nkunku as part of his squad. And there were also suspicions, nothing I know factual, that there were politics at play in that, as we know, uh, Tuchel and and Mislintat's relationship from their time together at PSG ended uh, in a very sour way. And um, was Tuchel uh, determined not to do business and help out Mislintat before he signs off with Arsenal? Perhaps we'll never know, but that that was the extent of, mm. of Arsenal's January transfer window. And is is uh, Unai Emery perhaps having more of an influence over potential targets? Perhaps looking at his former club and some players who are uh, at PSG. Uh, Unkunku, we believe, is a, a deal that might be reignited or worked on between now and the summer. But are there other people at that club he might be looking at? Yeah, so I'm told that Unai Emery um, likes experienced players. He likes to go with players he knows and trusts. So that may explain, that certainly explains uh, the Nkunku interest. He played him uh, far more than Thomas Tuchel has played him in PSG this season. Um, it explains the pursuit of Denis Suarez, who um, I know a number of people who have reservations about uh, within the game, not just inside Arsenal. And then also um, the reported uh, interest once again in Adrian Rabiot, who um, Arsenal were keen on during Arsene Wenger's time at the club and his link to PSG in the French game. Uh, It seemed that he would be signing for Barcelona, but now they've signed uh, Frankie de Jong um, for that position from Ajax. And so um, there are uh, credible reports that Arsenal will now try and uh, come back in for... Rabiot, there are people within Arsenal who are very keen that they uh, sign Rabiot or try to make a concerted effort. Um, He's he's very highly admired. There are some complications around him and the people you have to deal with Mm. if you want to do a deal for him and his salary demands. Um, But I think that's certainly one uh, that we should keep an eye on. Uh, Around certain players that have been suggested in the past, including Gendouzi, um, who I think Unai Emery was hugely on board with, he, um, I, I have heard that he, he, he would perhaps, whether it's favour or at least um, strongly consider alternatives who um, he knows well from the past and can trust. So when the Gwendouzi signing was being discussed, I think Emery would have also... Um, liked uh, uh, as an alternative if the Guendouzi one couldn't be done or as a, a more Im- immediate signing who he could trust for the here and now, he would have liked to have signed Stephen and Zonzi, um, which I've subsequently heard. So that goes to indicate the point that you, you make. He likes players he can trust and that he's worked with at former clubs and who have experience to um, do the job now. Okay, well, uh, there are some names there that might get people a bit excited. Obviously, it it depends on what Arsenal do between now and, and the end of the season uh, and the race for the top four and, and the Champions League spot via the Europa League, perhaps, uh, which will obviously inform the, the summer business. But we might just touch on that in the longer term in a moment. How much, David, do you think what's gone on with Sven Mislintat has had an impact on what Arsenal did in January? Because... Although the story emerged during the month of January, I think, or somewhere uh, around the start of the month, it's been rumoured for a little while that things haven't been quite as uh, coherent in the background as we would like them to be. So when 
Unai Emery was appointed and Arsene Wenger was replaced, uh, this trident was put in place to run the football club, which was Ivan Gazidis as the chief executive, Raul Sanyehi, head of football, uh, Sven Mislintat, the head of recruitment, and these three guys were supposed to work in in synchronicity uh, and work really well together. But as ever, when there's a sort of a, a power vacuum at a club, things don't always go the way you would like them to go, and people aren't always on the same page. Ivan Gazidis uh, left to go to AC Milan. Um, I'd be curious briefly as to your thoughts on on how quickly he decided to, to leave, having overseen this change, and whether you think he... he he had some responsibility to to manage it um, in the shorter term, but Mislintat is going, and it feels like there is a bit of a a problem um, because he has identified good talent for Arsenal. He has brought in good players, and it feels like a little bit of a step backwards when a very highly regarded head of recruitment is leaving after just over a year. So that situation in general and, and the impact it might have had on what Arsenal did in January? Yeah, it's not been an ideal time for Arsenal behind the scenes. Um, although it hasn't quite looked so ugly um, to the public, I think it has been quite messy in the background. Um, let's be fair to the club. When the new structure was brought in by Ivan Gazidis, um, none of them had really worked together before. And... Um, it was a shock to the system of everybody at the club that Gazidis was then walking away from that new structure. I think his feeling was that he had done what he was there to do. He'd been there for a decade. He'd bought this new structure in place. And if he was to stay on for a year, which he could have done or longer, um, he would have been doing so, relatively speaking, with his feet up and, and collecting his salary and not particularly influencing things because the people he had brought into the club would be doing that. Um, others will um, uh, take real exception to that idea and they will think that it was his duty to smooth over the transition period, lead it forward before considering moving away. I've seen some compare him to David Cameron in that sense, a little bit uh, <laughs> harsh, I think we'd all agree. Um, now, now, um, so so none of these guys uh, knew each other. Suddenly, Raul Sanlehi is promoted to, to head of football. And I think it's quite understandable that he would potentially want his own person in. Um, I don't think that's exceptional in any walk of life uh, for a person who is going to be running the show. Um, but I think from the moment uh, that Vinay Venkateshem and Raul Sanlehi were promoted and Sven Mislintat was not the writing was on the wall. So that was around September time when the Gazidis announcement came. Um, we know that, uh, that Miss Lintat was wanting to become the uh, technical director at Arsenal, which is a position we believe that they're, they're looking to uh, create. And um, it was one, it was one he was promised, I believe um, when, when the, when this trident was put in place, it was from the Gazeta side of things that uh, he was appointed on the basis of the uh, the fact that he would become the technical director. And actually, towards the end of last year, there were stories in the in certain newspapers which said he was um, being appointed as the technical director, but that was never officially confirmed. Well, I. I don't know if he was promised it, and I, I don't doubt your information on that. I just don't know personally. What I do know is um, that he expressed very clearly his desire to take that role because he felt that he was um, already assuming many of the roles of a technical director, and he had expressed to Gazidis that he would have liked um, that position. Uh, he, therefore, would have seen it as a, a huge blow that my understanding is that there was no recommendation as Gazidis left for Miss Lintat to take that position, uh, by which point I think, so we're talking September, October time, um, that the writing was was already well on the wall for Miss Lintat by mm. that point. Um, some, one person I spoke to in the game felt that if Arsenal appointed a Spaniard as their head coach, even though Miss Lintat was, um, was uh, closely involved, he was on the what was called a three-man panel of Mislintat, uh, Gazidis and Sanlehi, but was really four because it included Jason Rosenbelt, who is extremely uh, influential at the club. Um, even though Mislintat had that position, there, there was some in the game who felt if Arsenal appointed a Spaniard, 
uh, that um, it would be the beginning of the end for Mislintad because um, you would start to see a sort of a Spanish nucleus build and, and that might not in, include him. And some, some may say that's that's understandable. Um, and interestingly, you know, uh, Mislintat was one of those who was in favour of um, Emery's appointment. So it appeared he was thinking in, in Arsenal's best interest there. And of course, the other uh, the number two candidate was um, Mikel Arteta. So either way, mm. there would have been a, it looks like there would have been a Spaniard coming in. Um, so as we approached winter, things were were, were getting pretty messy because um, uh, Mislintat likes to plan for transfer windows long in advance. He's done it his whole career, really immersing himself uh, in the players that clubs are, his clubs are targeting um, and doing his due diligence and earning the trust of many of these boys who are young, which has been his his sort of forte over the years. I was, I was told one story from years gone by that he uh, immersed himself so much in the player's culture and environment that he went into the community and prayed with the player and his family, um, <laughs> which was one of the more sort of bizarre stories I've heard. But it, it shows the length he goes to. And yeah. a year into his position at Arsenal, which was sort of late November, early December, he sought assurances that uh, f- from San Lehi, I presume, that he was... Uh, um, that he was part of the future so he could plan, start planning, well, uh, continue planning for January and start planning for the summer. Uh, And I think he would have also spoken to Josh Kroenke on that front and those assurances didn't come. So um, uh, terrible timing, really, because Arsenal needed to to do some business in the transfer window. Uh, Miss Lantat, I think, was was the guy who sort of led the Carrasco approach at the start and, and also the... Um, the Perisic approach, given that he he uh, uh, brought him in, I think he brought him in or worked with him and uh, knows him from Dortmund. Uh, and then San Lehi took over many of these negotiations, such as the Perisic deal. And uh, that's no way to run a successful transfer window. Yeah. Um, although they came out of it in, in, I guess you could say, reasonable shape because they avoided, dodged a bit of a bullet on, on the money they would have been committing to what would have then been the 30-year-old in Perisic. The jury was out from many I speak to on Carrasco and um, and Dennis Suarez will we'll, we'll, we'll make our own minds up on, on him in time. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what kind of an impact he can have. And I'm curious really to see what he can do and really what, what Unai Emery expects of a player who's barely played any football this season and is being dropped into a new club, a new country. No, it's not a new, I know he was at Manchester City, but it's still new for him in terms of uh, the football he's played, the Premier League. Uh, he never played uh, for City outside the, the League Cup. Fingers crossed he can come in and make a bit of an impact. It does mean, though, that Arsenal, um, the planning and I suppose the long-term strategizing that we all hoped would go into the recruitment policy is now going to take a different direction uh, under Raul Senyehi. He is the head of football. He's obviously going to uh, appoint a new head of scouting. I don't know if you've heard anything about who exactly is going to be uh, uh, the man there. We've heard of uh, Francis Kagigao, I don't quite know how to pronounce his surname, but he's been a long-time scout in Spain, so there's a Spanish connection there, and he's uh, brought us players like Cesc Fabregas, Hector Bellerin, and was instrumental in transfers like Alexis Sanchez and Santi Cazorla, Nacho Monreal as well. He could be that. Um, so there's a lot now riding on Sanyehi, and that too might have informed what we did in January, that if he is the man now on whom the responsibility rests and to whom the finger can be pointed um, based on the decisions that he makes, he probably didn't want to do any stopgap business in January anyway and is looking to the summer to make sure that the signings we make are the right signings. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Um, I mean, if we go go back a step, I, I think from from few people I've spoken to, Miss Lintat's plan was to kind of... Um, uh, step back and assess what he was inheriting in his first year in charge. So he le- he wanted to let the um, scouting operation um, function as it was so he could make some decisions. And then um, after a year in the job, he would start to um, uh, ex- sort of um, restructure it and, yeah. and ex- exert his influence. And I think by the sounds of it, he was he was trying to start to do that at a point at which it was already too late. And there was some unrest uh, behind the scenes within the scouting department at his sort of hands-off approach. And I think probably by his own admission, he would do things slightly differently if he had his time again. Um, I'm not sure how good his relationship was with 
um, Kajau, however you, <laughs> you, you, you made a far better fist of uh, pronouncing it than me. And um, those I speak to have a feeling that Kajiao will be, um, will be uh, promoted to the sort of head of recruitment role or call it what you like, chief scout. He's been there for a long time and uh, I think he's got a good working relationship with Raus and Lehi. Um, we'll, we'll wait to see on that one. A number of names have been mentioned for the technical director role and uh, two of the criteria I was told was that either the person must be known and trusted by Emery or have a really strong connection with Arsenal um, and somebody that doesn't tick one of those boxes is not going to be an ideal candidate. Um, of course, there are many more factors. I'm speaking broadly. And um, so that's why you saw the likes of Edu mentioned. I think Edu will end up staying in, in Brazil, uh, where his family are based, even though it's in a different city there in Sao Paulo. He's in um, uh, Rio. There, I think he's pretty settled there with the national team. Um, even though a few years ago, I was told that, that because of the the, um, the distance between the two cities, uh, he was keen on a new project that would reunite him in the same place, which, and there were uh, people inside Arsenal under Wenger uh, during the Wenger reign who would have liked him to come in then, but I don't think it will happen with Edu now. Mark Overmars linked for the same reasons, the Arsenal connection. Whereas on the flip side, uh, somebody who has the connection to Emery but not Arsenal is Monchi. I don't know this for a fact, but I, I have been told by a few people that he is uh, uh, Sanlehi's first choice and, um, and Emery's first choice as well. There's obviously the connection from Sevilla. Things aren't going particularly well at, uh, at Roma, but he's extremely highly regarded within the game. And one person even told me that that's a done deal. Uh, but mm. I don't know that for a fact, and it's not strong enough information to, for me to be able to report it outright. But I think that could um, that could be one that develops in, in, in the coming weeks as Arsenal really need to get moving for the summer transfer window because um, uh, other clubs are already you know, holding their negotiations and doing their groundwork now. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult for Arsenal because they don't know what money they're going to be playing with. Um, there are some suggestions around the £40 million mark um, depending on what competition Arsenal get in, uh, I've been told that it could be around £100 million to spend. As we know with Arsenal, that would factor in salaries as well. And we need to see what competition they get in. Um, and there needs to be intelligent recruitment as well. It's all, all well and good having the 100 million or however many hundred millions or less. Um, but how intelligently they do it is going to be the key factor here because it's not going to be the level of money that many other clubs will have. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now save 50 percent on the sleep number limited edition smart bed for a limited time for jd power 2023 award information visit jdpower.com awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what's your sense of how raul sanyehi views or understands the job that he's got now at Arsenal because at Barcelona where he was director of football for many years he's at a, a gigantic institution with I won't say endless money but with a lot more money than Arsenal and with more ability to soak up bad transfers and poor deals and there were many of those um, at Barcelona over the years you can think of uh, dozens not maybe not dozens but handfuls of players that they've signed for big money who didn't really work out or weren't worth what they paid uh, in fact a number of those players came from Arsenal to Barcelona under Sanyehi's watch whereas at Arsenal you know the hope I think we had if we all understand that 
financially we're not going to be on the same level as some of the other clubs in the Premier League, the idea that we were going to do business better and smarter was the way to create a competitive advantage or at least keep up with these clubs. Sanye, he can't operate at Arsenal the way that he did at Barcelona. Uh, could that explain the 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 links with Monchi, who, who in his job as um, director of football at Sevilla or whatever exactly title he had at Sevilla, was responsible for bringing in uh, players for very low fees and selling them for very high fees. Um, is that part of why he might be brought in? Not just the connection with Emery, but this sort of recyclable transfer uh system that we kind of have to get on where we bring in younger players develop them and if they stay great and if we sell them for a big profit then also not great but we can reinvest that money back into the team and that's how Arsenal are going to fund themselves uh, via this KSE self-sustaining model Yep, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's all going to be about intelligent recruitment. And Sam Lehi's a really intelligent guy. He's, he's very impressive. He's very experienced. But it will be really interesting to see the sort of players that Arsenal bring in and whether that hints at his relationship-based approach, whether we see some signings that we, um, we can trace back to a certain or a number of agents. Uh, and I know that Sam Lehi moves in... Um, in some uh, different circles to some people. You know, Arsenal um, were very reluctant to do business in the past with the likes of Jorge Mendes, um, uh, Mino Raiola and um, Kia Jurabchian. And yeah. I think uh, Sanlehi has decent relationships with people like this. And so uh, we could see that becoming um, an interesting um, facet of Arsenal's recruitment. I'm really keen to see the background of the players they bring in in the coming transfer windows. Um, Monchi, for example, brought in um, uh, Justin Cliver, didn't he, to to Roma. That's that's Amino Raiola player. So Mm. that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because we know that Sanlehi's approach has been more relationship-based than than sort of analytics um, and real long-term groundwork like somebody like Mislintat uh, favoured. And, and I think that was part of the reason why um, there was a difference in philosophies between those two. And um, they, they didn't do things the same way. And I don't think there was a partic- particularly acrimonious fallout or anything. I just don't think they were ideally suited for each other, Mislintat and, um, and Sanlehi. So, um, yeah, that will be interesting. Uh, the, 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 the self-sustaining model, we're told, is, is here to stay. Um, and the money, as you say, is not going to be, is not going to be sufficient to compete with, um, with s- some of the biggest clubs. I am told that the Arsenal are extremely well set up now um, from, a, from a sort of analytics and data point of view with Stats DNA and Jason Rosenvelt is extremely highly talked about and Hus Fami is really influential. He's not just the contract man. He has day-to-day contact with the players. He's said to be um, a shining light at Arsenal that, that they're very fortunate to have. Uh, he gets involved in day-to-day meetings with the sort of the, um, the real power brokers within the club. Um, and I'm told that on the coaching side, Freddie Lundberg has impressed some would like to see him integrated into the first team somewhat. Uh, per Mertesacker as well, uh, despite the controversy about um, about Per Mertesacker going to an NBA game when his under-23s were playing in the North London derby. I've told that, that, that people inside the club felt that was a bit of a nonsense. He's doing really good work and it, it is highly regarded. Um, uh, Unai Emery's coaching sessions are said to be very intense. His, his number two... Um, is a really highly regarded coach uh, by many I speak to within the game. So I think things are set up pretty well for Arsenal, but everything will now um, um, come down to Sanlehi and how he can he can drive the football club forward because mm. he has complete authority, I'm told. Um, obviously, Vinay Venkatesham running the commercial and business side, he supports Sanlehi in all of his decisions on the football side and Sanlehi supports Venkatesham in all of his decisions on the commercial and, and business side and I think the Cronkies um, leave, leave these guys to it so yeah. it, it, it's going to be a, an incredibly fascinating period in, in Arsenal's history and you've already seen um, it, you know that they're 
their um, their willingness to, to to go in for players that they know um, in in terms of Denis Suarez, who, as I said, I'm I'm not sure um, people within the game feel is the right signing for Arsenal in this January transfer transfer window and and the type of player character personality to spearhead a drive for the top four. Um, but I think connections will be key in Arsenal's recruitment now. And um, let's watch this space. Okay. Uh... Just a couple of things before I let you go. The the self-sustaining model, the way that the Cronkies and KSE are, are running the club is not a surprise to anybody. They have 100% control right now. But as a fan, it's very difficult to hear them talk about um, the ambitions that they have for the club at the same time looking at what they're, what they're doing. You know, the, the interview over the weekend ahead of the Super Bowl where Josh Kroenke's talking about getting back into or getting to the, the Champions League final, it seems very detached from the reality of where Arsenal are right now. Uh, you know, we're, we're in a fight to get back into the top four. The Champions League final at this point is, is something of a, of a pipe dream. So <clears throat> in terms of how they're setting the, the tone or setting the ambition of the club, is it in any way founded in reality or are these simply sound bites which have very little substance to them when you look at what the reality of Arsenal's situation is compared to what they say they want for the club because it's hard to marry the two things it's hard to marry Premier League success and Champions League success without the owners providing some kind of a push to make that happen or do they feel they can generate this organically through this this new structure and this new setup with more time? Well, I think the double-edged sword for um, from an ownership perspective is that um, the Cronkies are quite hands-off. And that um, means that they allow the people who are running the club on a day-to-day basis autonomy to... Um, to make decisions and to drive things forward. Mm. And many people would say that's a good thing. But on the flip side, um, they are ultimately holding the purse strings uh, and making the um, final decisions. And so that presents a pretty um, uh, problematic dilemma at times, um, especially in terms of what budgets are available and what those on the ground have got to work with. And, I'm taking nothing away from those who, like Jeremy Wilson, a brilliant journalist who's managed to build a relationship there and, and speak to those guys. Uh, but also, we don't often hear uh, from them on the, some of the subjects that um, the supporters and, and the public really want to hear from them on, such as the direction for the club. I don't see a really clear vision on where Arsenal are going. And if they have it, um, we're probably not hearing it articulated well enough or precisely enough because as you say it appears a bit fanciful um, and not in touch with reality and um, I don't know if those on the ground are fully aware of what that plan and project is and whether it's being carried out to um, the Americans satisfaction Mm. Um, certainly um, uh, those I speak to uh, suggest that um, I, I spend a lot of time inside other clubs as well as spending time around Arsenal and you see the culture, you feel it. And um, I don't want this to come across as a sort of cheap generalisation. It, it's just what I felt, but it's also what people inside these clubs have told me and inside Arsenal. Some of these clubs, you really sense and smell and feel a winning culture, an absolute um, unequivocal demand to win. Um Within Arsenal, various people who have worked there over the years have described London Colney as being like an oasis, like a spa, uh, almost like a holiday camp. It's a lovely environment. It's, um, it's, it's fantastic for players and staff. But is it um, somewhere that is conducive to, you know, ruthlessly uh, driven to succeed? And, and surely that stems from the very top. Um, we've seen with Abramovich at Chelsea over the years and, and the Abu Dhabi group at Manchester City, just two examples. Um, one interesting point, uh, a couple of people I spoke to at City um, were surprised that uh, at the weekend's match, of course, directors can't do anything on the pitch, but 
the Arsenal decision makers were all at the Super Bowl when um, m- many people will be surprised to hear that they weren't at the Etihad Stadium. Wow. Now we don't know the we don't know the sort of political influence behind it. Whether they were expected by the American owners to to be over at the Super Bowl, their association with the Rams, etc. But that surprises me a little bit. Yeah. That that, um, that they were over there on 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 the day of a big match and and they weren't in the director's box at the Etihad Stadium. Where are the priorities now? That uh, clearly is just a one-off, and I think Arsenal, are, you know, uh, are being fairly well led um, in terms of Sanlehi and, and Benkatesham. They both strike me as being impressive individuals, um, and um, if they get this um, technical director uh, role right, allied to those I've I've also mentioned in other roles at the club, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. I don't think they're far off, um, but. It's just um, that push, isn't American, it? That that yeah. that that extra desire to uh, to really achieve things. You know, for for a, a while, it's felt like Arsenal have been going through the motions, and maybe we're a little bit harsh because it's still only what nine months since Arsene Wenger um, was announced as leaving the club, and this is clearly a new era and, and, and a new structure. But it's long felt to me like that that burning ambition which you can get from the very top of the club, which pushes everybody, not just the manager or the players, but everybody within the club isn't there with the Cronkies because they are so far away and because of the way they operate, they delegate, they put people in place to do this. But it feels like they put people in place to do just a good enough job rather than rather than the best possible job. And they don't really give them the backing financially in order to make that happen. Yeah, that, I mean that is um, that that would appear to be the case, and it's a stark reality that Arsenal, the only Premier League club whose owners have not put a penny in of their own money, um, and but I, I've got to be quite careful on this because I don't know the exact financial situation, and the likes yep. of Kieran from Swiss Ramble are far more articulate and, and informed than me. But um, I don't know the exact situation around uh, financial fair play and whether Arsenal by taking um, owner investment would be um, getting into dangerous territory around their compliance with FFP and also the Premier League wage increase restrictions. So I'm going to sort of pass judgment on that one. And it's not fair for me to give the benefit of the doubt to the the, uh, Cronkies one way or the other. We've seen them invest personal money in America. So it it really is a a fascinating area. But Arsenal, when you speak to them, are very calm. They're, they're, they see this as a project, which is strange that we, we were all o- seemed OK with it at the start. It's going to be a few years. I was told that ni- 2019 to 20, the start of that season was wh- when Arsenal were hoping to be competitive again. I was told that a year ago it would take um, three, four, five transfer windows. They were very realistic. Emery was a long term appointment. And perhaps that 22 match unbeaten run was... Um, a bit of a curse to him because it seems that many expectations have changed and suddenly people are questioning his suitability for the position. Of course, he's not immune to, to questions on the pitch and tactical um, decisions. That There are some things that clearly haven't been done right as he's trying to explore and, and find his team balance, etc., etc. There's far more better qualified people to speak on that than me. Um, but I think people need to relax a little bit and see how this plays out. Um, rather than jumping to sort of um, conclusions in the immediate term. I'm not a sympathiser of the Cronkies. I know many people um, that that have a very dim view of them inside and outside Arsenal and and within the game. Um, The proof is going to be in the pudding over the next year or two. And um, that I, I'm not trying to duck an answer. For yeah. instance, why was there no money to spend in the January transfer window? Well, we know Arsenal spent heavily in the previous two transfer windows. We know they have uh, revenue streams coming on in terms of Adidas in the summer. There's been uh, various talk around stadium refinancing, possible covenants, uh, uh, stuff that I'm not particularly um, au fait with. Um, but the truth is, we don't know exactly why there was no money to spend it hasn't been communicated properly, either publicly or in private. Um, we don't know the precise sums. I've been told it could be £100 million in the summer. Um, we've been told that in the past, and we don't want to either ex- excite or disappoint people. Yeah. Um, this is a real time of flux for Arsenal. It seems a shame, a real shame, that just when it 
appeared that Arsenal were building in the right direction over the last year. That they managed to have um, encountered problems behind the scenes with the Mislintat situation, with the contractual problems around around Mesut Ozil, Aaron Ramsey. Um, they've got to shift some players out of the club in in the summer. I think they will do so. I think San Lehi is quite a ruthless operator. Um, but it is a shame that that aim of being competitive from the start of the 2019 to 20 season um, seems like it suddenly has been derailed somewhat. Um, that said, I, I think um, that Emery is an appointment who, who the club are, are fully behind and um, will work together with him to get things right. One concerning point I, I, I was told internally is that the, the one of the issues under Arsene Wenger was that he wasn't challenged enough by others around the club. He'd built such a power base that um, his authority and his decisions were, were never really um, challenged. I'm actually hearing similar things around Emery, that Sam Lehi is a huge supporter of his. He doesn't want to impinge on his areas of, of authority. And some feel that, that Emery should already be being challenged more in, in the way that he challenges many of his players, a healthy environment. Yeah. And that's if that's a cultural problem within Arsenal, then that firstly may come from on high and, and the culture needs to shift. And in any cultural shift, as we know, anywhere in the world, it does take time and it's not what people are, are going to want to hear. Um, but I think Arsenal is a project that is... Um, um, not close to coming to fruition yet. And if it does, and if things go, come together in the way they could, then I think it, it's going to be pretty exciting. But people are going to have to um, uh, sort of use that word they, they really hate and, yeah. uh, and uh, have patience. <laughs> just very finally, David, I just want to ask you about a story that emerged during the transfer window. You spoke on BBC Five Live. Um, the situation with Mesut Ozil and Unai Emery or Mesut Ozil and Arsenal as a whole is a really curious one. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. Um, the suggestion to Ozil that it might be best for him to leave the club uh, was the story that, that you came out with on Sunday uh, at the Etihad when Arsenal were 3-1 down and trying to get back into the game, Unai Emery left Ozil on the bench and put on Suarez, a player who is clearly not quite match fit yet because of how little he's played this season. He didn't really know his teammates. He's only been at the club three days and he's putting him on ahead of a guy who, for all his issues, and, and there are valid criticisms of Mesut Ozil, does have uh, the quality and vision and talent to change a game and you know we can use the caveat away from home against one of the big sides is not necessarily when he he shines but even leaving that aside it felt a bit to me anyway like Emery hammering another nail into the Ozil shaped coffin that he's been um, handcrafting all season long so can you give us any insight into what exactly is happening there or what the likely outcome might be well, immediately after Ozil signed his new contract, or, or let's take it back even further, in the, in the build-up to that, there were people inside the club who didn't want him to be given that contract. Um, um, could, I, could I just ask, did they want him to be given a contract, but not that contract? Is there a distinction there? I think uh, there, are, there are some within the club who do not feel that he... Um, uh, is producing what is required of him mm. and would prefer him to have not been given a contract at all. And there are some who felt that if you're going to give him that new contract, um, sorry, a new contract, then it should be for nowhere near the money that um, Arsenal ended up agreeing to. By which point, Ozil had a, a strong hand in the negotiations because Alexis Sanchez was on his way out of the club mm. um, and it would have been a pretty tough time for Arsenal if they were going to be losing both of them within the space of a few months. Um, there was very little interest in, in clubs buying him at that point, um, but losing him on a free would have would have been um, potentially embarrassing for Arsenal. So there were there were some who were disgruntled with with the decision to award him a contract, that contract, take it whichever way you like. Um, they were hoping that uh, by handing him the captain's armband uh, as part of a, a group of captains, handing him the number 10 shirt um, and putting an arm around him after happen what happened with Germany at the World Cup, that um, 
they were going to have a really productive season out of him. But clearly, um, there have been trouble settling in to, to, to the new way of playing under Unai Emery. Um, I think you saw uh, the way he left the pitch uh, during the game at Chelsea uh, in the second game of the season that he didn't look particularly happy. And then we know, I think, ahead of the Bournemouth game um, that Unai Emery had made it clear that um, he didn't see uh, Ozil being of value in, in big away games. Um, I, I've been told that, that Emery has, um, uh, at the point at which I, I said it on Five Live around that period of, of a few, quite a few weeks ago now, had expressed um, to Ozil that it might be better for him to leave. Um, what we don't know, which you guys have pointed out in, in, a, in one of the Ask Cast previously, whether that was um, the feeling of Emery, whether it was the feeling of the hierarchy, or whether it was the feeling of both of them. Mm. I suspect it was the probably, probably the feeling of both of them. Um, however, if one party felt it more than the other, I would suspect it was the hierarchy, um, not using uh, Emery as their puppet, but but expressing their feelings through him. Because um, it's understood that Emery was quite keen to possibly take Özil um, when he was PSG coach, and um, that some vague discussions took place about whether Özil, as a free agent last summer, and if if Emery had stayed on, could mm. have. Uh, could have joined PSG and, and Emery could have built a team around him as the number 10. So I'd be surprised Emery, the sort of coach who really seems to take pleasure from bringing the best out of players, wasn't up for the fight. I think it was more a financially motivated thing that had come from on high that this guy's earning £350,000 a week and he's not producing the level of consistency that we would like. If he was, I don't think this would be a particular issue. And... Um, Ozil's view was that I'm, I'm not leaving, certainly not in the January transfer window. Um, and obviously, everybody will see what happens in the summer. I've been told that he's training well, um, that he's not a problem within the camp. But the way he's um, being used or not used, um, I don't know this for a fact, but it would appear that possibly Emery um, uh, is not playing him um, for the very uh, reason of... of um, uh, Encouraging Özil to to seek pastures new in the summer. So to um, to sort of make life so uncomfortable for him that if he wants to play football on a regular basis, he has to he has to uh, consider leaving. And in order to do that, he might have to agree to terms that are perhaps less favourable to him than he's on at Arsenal right now, thus saving Arsenal lots of money. Yeah, we're not privy to the technical sure. decisions here. And, and you can understand why um, Denis Suarez was brought on at Manchester City because he, he needs to play. He's potentially only with the club until the end of the season and he needs minutes under his belt. Um, the Rams, Ramsey coming on ahead of Ozil, well, Ramsey's been playing better than Ozil, but he's leaving at the end of the season. A number of um, the games in which Ozil's not figured. I don't know this for a fact. It, it, so so um, it's yeah. just one possible theory. That, that he's not being played so um, so that um, that he has no choice in the summer if he wants to resume his career, that then he has to move. And it gets this £350,000 a week problem off of Arsenal's hands. Um, now, there is also a theory that if he plays, he could, um, he could play well. And then, um, uh, you know, the fans demand that he stays and, and, and he, he gives Arsenal a headache in that sense if, he's already, um, if they've already made their decision on him. But also, um, um, him not playing uh, potentially reduces his value too. So it's a really confusing situation. There's no clarity around it at all. And um, it, it's, it's deeply dissatisfactory for Arsenal and for Ozil and, um, and surely can't go on. Mm. Well, look, we'll see how it plays out between now and the end of this particular season. It feels to me like if Arsenal really do want to get back in the top four, finding some way of getting something out of Mesut Ozil between now and then is, is going to be absolutely key to that. Uh, David, as ever, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll hopefully talk again uh, towards the summer, perhaps, when we might have a clearer idea of who is who is going to be making the decisions, who the technical director might be and which uh, players we might be targeting in the transfer window. But as ever, uh, thanks very much indeed and I'm glad, uh, glad to have you on. Anytime, Andrew. Thank you.
Thank you very much indeed to David Ornstein. You don't need me to tell you to go and follow him on Twitter because you're all doing it already, aren't you? If not, BBC Sport underscore David, BBC Sport underscore David. A lot went on at Arsenal in January, and I think if you listen between the lines a bit, things have not been as as well run or as coherent as we would have liked, hence possibly some of the inaction that we saw during the month and whether that impacts Unai Emery and his ability to get the team into the top four, we won't be able to tell in the uh, very short term, but between now and May, we'll certainly have a very good idea as to how that has had an effect on our season. Hopefully, when we next talk to David, probably sometime towards the summer, we might have a better idea of what the club is going to do and what it can do in the transfer market because we'll have an idea of what kind of European football we're playing. Fingers crossed, it's the Champions League because I think that will have a very uh, positive effect on the recruitment that we do. It makes it easier to get better players in. Simple as that if you're in the Champions League. So fingers crossed for that. Hope you enjoyed this uh, bonus midweek extra special Arsecast with David. Remember, do give us a rating or a review on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. And as I mentioned at the start, if you feel like signing up to become an Arsblog member on Patreon, that would be absolutely great as well. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog Until Friday, when we're looking ahead to the game against Huddersfield, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.